0: Boy. Oh, man. Welcome to Radio Free Damos, an Ixundraconus fan podcast broadcasting from a post Damos orbit on Object Seventeen, Voltaire Station. With me this week is Ashtar, Yt, Wines, and I'm Corbeau. This week is episode fifty-eight, Progenitus. Not the magic card. Hmm. Not the magic
1: card. Is there a magic card called Progenitus?
2: Yes, it's a uh, it's ten mana,
0: uh, two of every color, and it has production from everything.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Should be white and gold. Gold matter, <laughs> So before we get started, just a quick question How did you manage to escape from the Donut Beast hot zone last week? Is there a question? I ate my way out Oh, yeah, you it know, works
3: <laughs> Pop-up coffee shop They start fighting over me instead of around me
0: I got one of those new vector size declares And then leaned rather heavily on the GoFoodMe uh, team to get myself shipped out of there And I'm covered in Bavarian cream It's not bad mm. The
3: artist downstairs didn't take care of that <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> guess I left that one open. <laughs> I, I,
2: I followed mostly just behind people who were eating their own way out. Good choice. Yeah. Boy,
3: how can anything that big hide for so long a time? Yeah.
1: I wonder what their next move will be.
0: So news from the HST universe. There's a new novel out. It's called Blood in the Mists. Blood and Mists. Mists full of blood. Something along those lines. I'll link to it in the show notes. It has foxes. It does have foxes. Does it has it? a giant anthro. Oh, giant non-anthro wolf. Yeah. As a main character. That's kind of fun. Does it also have blood? Uh, and mist. Yes. Oh, Both. All of the above. Uh, check all that apply to you. <laughs> <laughs> this one features the uh, kind of red and blue. Uh, brightly colored fox that appears in the IRPF story. Sparkle uh, fox, right. She's very much a sparkle fox, yes. For a while, I had her confused with the gender-bending character that's uh, native to Spyglass, and it was only until Seth explained those were different characters that I could finally contextualize the okay. entire book.
1: I was kind of waiting for that to come yeah, up. Yeah, when is he going to
0: turn into a guy? <laughs> it didn't happen. I mean, I'm, it, it could have been the other way around, too. Sure, I don't sure. know. I just It was not that character. It was a different character. Got it. IRPF does not apparently employ gender-bending bat-morphs. least not in that story. No. The more you know. Uh, it did have a, a town full of micros, though, so that's something. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> Does
0: a town full of micros have uh, hamster tubes running around? I, I wish. They don't. I think they, they just don't. They have political protests. Yeah, it, it, it did, did
3: not. Wait, that is unfortunate. We have a fox, and we have a town full of micros... Is there a police bunny in here anywhere? Because then we start running into uh,
0: problems. There was a bunny. Was there? Who was... No, there's a hedgehog. No, a porcupine. Porcupine, right. (laughs) Yeah, not a bunny. Much less cute. How can any
1: race
0: be so stupid?
1: Ah, don't ask me any questions. I'm just a hard hand just like you.
0: So Ashtar says that we had this topic, like, about three years ago when we first started. But I think it's particularly relevant to uh, talking about progenitus. Is HSD or is soul a dystopia or a dystopian setting?
1: Yes. 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 yes.
0: Okay, I'll hit <laughs> <stop Yes>. now. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay.
1: so, I want to
2: say no. So I actually have a good answer to this that is probably a little bit unexpected. I want to call it a perfect dystopia. Perfect. It is so dystopic it has wrapped her back around to a pure utopic. It is to such an extent dystopic and there is so total control over every character that there can be political discourse, fighting, and everything else pre-planned that still helps everyone fall back in line with a general plan of something larger. So what the marketing department wants you to think. Exactly.
0: Okay, so dystopia with a wraparound. Corporate dystopia with Corporate a wraparound. Dystopia. So
2: where there's still enough personal freedom that you don't know that you are being controlled
1: well like one of my thoughts i mean one of our our touchstone pieces for making negative world references is the warhammer 40k universe yeah the warhammer 40k universe is so horrible so pervasively horrible well first off our 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 joke is, if you ever find yourself living in that world, just commit suicide. You're going to hate it. (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, if you commit suicide in that world, you might find yourself back in
0: the world anyway.
1: It's a floating head
0: microphone.
1: Sure, sure. (laughs) Um, But it's so horrible everywhere, nobody would know it's horrible. Because it's horrible from end to end for everyone. Well, I think
0: the natives of any dystopian universe kind of have been beaten down by it. They, right. they, it's well, the only universe but, they know. But my
1: point is, in HSD, there's the the, the the bright, shining future, which is surrounded on all sides by scary stuff. But so that people do have a excuse for expecting a reasonable universe, a kind universe, when in fact lurking in every shadow is something else that wants to kill you. I'm going to take issue
3: with that definition, though. If everybody... Sorry, not yours. If everybody in the society has drunk the Kool-Aid, it's not a dystopia. You have a society that is working as one, and they have achieved their society. For a dystopia, there has to be a measure of conflict and a measure
0: of discontent. I think you're just all wrong. (laughs) Um, I don't think we we can agree to disagree on that (laughs) (laughs) one. So... uh, you wouldn't apply the word dystopia or utopia to where you're living. You might apply utopia to where you're living if you were in a book written by an author called utopia. Uh, But these are principally literary terms and a utopia is the perfect world as seen by the author. And a dystopia is a world that's overwhelmingly dark as seen by the reader. Um, These are, these are more literary definitions. Um, And I think that, I, I, we've described HST a number of times as having a lot of dystopian elements, as being a dystopia. But I think that it's, it's a mix. It's, it's, it's. So, would you describe something like Atlas Shrugged as a utopia? Brave
3: I New describe World. Describe it at all. Brave New World is a definitely dystopia. That would definitely be a dystopia. But yes. that was yeah, the I artist, was, the author was basically creating that to be a dystopia. We're bringing a certain amount of artists or artists, Arthur's intentions in. Yes. That. Okay, if we're going to talk about the literary definition, ah. I concede that point. Okay, sure, but that kind of takes the discussion away. Well, and I don't I mean, because then we're talking about, well, what does Sev think instead
0: of well, what is the society? But that's not actually where I was going it was, <laughs> I was trying to say that in the balance, I don't think that the h s d world is particularly it's it's dark in that there are horrible things in the corners. there are dragons and there they are. You can point at them and say there they're, they're, they're be dragons. You can describe Star Trek that way, too. Yeah, and Star Trek, Star Trek is a fairly optimistic, particularly during the Roddenberry period. That is that is a utopian future with dark elements. creator designed it to be a utopia. Yeah. Um, I don't think it goes there in like Deep Space Nine. No. But I do think that fundamentally, the characters in this book are not living in an overwhelmingly dark world. I think they're living in a world that, like um, any proper medieval theologian would say is you know a little nasty british in short but it's not bad i mean have you forgotten the first book already no i haven't the first book <laughs> the first book is a terribly unreliable narrator that describes everything as being bright and cheerful then you read the second book and everything crashes to a screeching well sound and silence and everything crashes down to darkness but i don't think the characters i don't think the world is particularly dark there's there is over the story is not the uh not the game rule books Help me here. What stories are we talking about? The fiction, the novel, or the yes, the, the novel. You forgot the novel. I d- it's okay. I, no, I, I, <laughs> I did forget the novel. I I, 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 don't. It didn't really fit the world for me. Now I do. I mean, it's a dark. It's a dark world. There is corporate oversight, but there's not like the Big Brother control elements that are so strong in 1984. Um, there's breeding programs perhaps but well, they're not it's a perfect time to move into progenitist when we're talking about that now well no and that's why <laughs> I, that's why I think it's a good question for Progenitus. I don't in the balance think that this is the worst of all worlds um, I don't think it's extreme enough to be called a, a dystopia this... because the characters are, the, I think the characters are in the balance they have they have stuff they have they have they have the ability to be
3: content right hold on let me capture that moment they have stuff No one denies vectors have stuff. They have all sorts of stuff. They have every sort of stuff that people are willing to sell. But I finished. I finished the sentence. But they don't have. They don't have a lot of things that make kind of more of a utopia. Be it a greater good, be it some sort of like civic duty, be it some sort of sense of self or sense of community or sense of society. They kind of have that outwardly sense of corporate. Nation,
0: Right. And I, I think ultimately for me, this comes down to that. There is not a binary between this is not a binary. The, this, you cannot be either. You're not either a utopia or a dystopia. It's got a lot of both. So I'm really not making a, an opinion at all here, except to say that I don't think you can call it either one of these settings.
3: So your answer is yes. And we have a consensus.
0: Yeah. This, <laughs> this is also what I was saying. It's,
2: it's so far into dystopic that the amount of control and the, uh, autonomy of any single singular character is to the extent where they wouldn't know either they are living in a dystopia or a utopia to them. It is both and either honestly, because an MP from an NPC's perspective, HSD can either be a utopic or a dystopic thing, whether it depends on the corporate structure or not. Yeah.
0: Or not. It, yeah. It, it, kind of what planet you are, how, what's where the game master set the sliders on the campaign. That's true. It's, it's telling though, that what, in the description of
3: the different corporations, the one that feels the most dystopic is probably more Spyglass. And yet, that's probably also the freest of any of the mega corporations. Yeah. Also, depending how
2: you play it, the most utopic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where and, everyone is actively seeking to not only better each other, but to better themselves. So yeah. they're the closest ones that actually
3: see the dystopia, and everybody else is just so far underwater that they can't wouldn't. even see it
0: anymore. Yeah. And flip side, I think the company that does, I mean, legitimately does the most public good in seoul is also the most uh totalitarian pulse no it's not not, (laughs) not pulse not pulse uh asr
2: they both have the population
3: asr is a bunch of nerds
0: yeah yeah asr is techno futuristic utopia with like strong big brother elements everything else it's it's all mixed that's one of the challenges of hsd except for marsco they're just generic Marsco is not evil enough to really be a good dystopian company. They just don't care. Is this where we
2: start slinging um, like little little boxes? Marsco, less
3: evil than everybody else, because we don't care. <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't care enough to do evil. There we go.
1: As, as an aside, in, in that the new Shiro cartoon, uh, there, there's the the very adorable chirpy engineer character who main characters rescue from some place. Repeatedly. They, they, they rescue her from this, this place where she's building robots to defend herself. And it's having a fine time because it's a lethal place full of lots of technology. And they're like, you know, we want to bring you back among your friends. And she's just like, eh. And one of them says, also we brought an ancient technology spaceship to rescue you in. She's like, let's go. <laughs> and they're like, hold on. Are you just saying that because we're rescuing the spaceship? Or are you saying the other things? Oh, with the spaceship. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, now, the RPG universes that we play in, and you know, playing in a World of Darkness universe, we we talk about this a lot. That it's an awfully genial World of Darkness. And and, and honestly, I I think all of our our games. Uh, I mean, I think like my fantasy g- games, your your fantasy games they all tend to be pretty genial places just because that's our styles. We tend to downplay the darkity, dark, dark, dark darkness. Yeah, that's Challenge hard. accepted. Yeah. And, and, nope. well, <laughs> no, yeah. Ashtar, stay good. And, 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 and we tend to look for excuses to justify this. Just like, again, any furry playing World of Darkness is, well, why do I have to go berserk? Why do I have to kill people? Why is everyone scared of me? It's like, because it's not furry world, the furry, furry, furry. But... I don't know, you you, you look for what you want in a game. Uh, And so while I look at HSD and I see a description of a world as like, okay, it's a little bit corporate, corporations aren't totally trustworthy, the really scary stuff tends to be off in the corners of the universe, not like in the center of every city is this eye that looks down on people and eats them occasionally. It tends to be off on Europa or this place or that place. I mean, okay, occasionally it pops up just anywhere. But... I don't remember reading anywhere that this is typical. It's every day people are eaten by the the thing that lives below the pavement. No, only on
0: a 9 or 10.
1: Right. Now, of of course, player characters will seek this stuff out. Um, but
0: From the eyes
2: of an NPC, HSD is about as good to live as any other uh, reasonably high-tech place. Yeah, yeah. From the eyes of the NPC, it's normal. Arguably much better. Yeah, like probably a hell of a lot better. The only real
3: scarcity that you deal with is artificial scarcity of a society or a competition type nature. This is not, you're never in danger of, you're never in real danger of living on the streets or going hungry or not having something fun to do.
0: Although, we learned (laughs) last week that only NPCs explode into one quarter mile biohazards. (laughs) (laughs) However, from the eyes
2: of a player, it just is dystopic, utopic. Uh, some combination of whatever because they see everything. Because well, pl- player characters want.
1: are e- empowered people who have more of a scope and also the players read the books.
0: Well, and game, masters, also- game <laughs> masters need a dark environment to have a plot at all. Sure, sure. I mean, player I characters are, are just plots. NPCs with an evil god. <laughs> involved evil god.
2: Heavily involved evil god.
1: <laughs> we received messages from their spaceships. For a while, it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise.
0: So, Progenitus. Yeah, let's start with a brief history of Progenitus. In many ways, this is just going to recapitulate the brief history of Pulse and Spyglass. Life goes on.
1: It's from Marsco like everything else, I assume? No, it's not, no. actually.
0: It's, uh, it's totally not from Marsco at all. Huh. A brief history of the evil empire. No. Oh, just wait. So the history of progenitus goes back, I'd say, to about 100 A.E. So somewhere around maybe 110, 120, 130 A.E. We have the plague years where research no longer keeps up with the growth of the vector's viral load and the way diseases mutate and things like that. And there's about a 10-year period where a wave of plague ravages Mars. The vectors haven't really expanded beyond them yet. So the earlier version of the megacorp genotype was the health court for the most part they were supposed to keep vector biology on track and not let rampant mutations destroy the species that sort of thing and they did kind of a bad job on that i think because around about 70 ae they started focusing on rats at some point between like 70 and one 130 or so they started focusing rather exclusively on purifying the rat race and then developing the mouse slave race and so on and so forth and they got blowed up by mice angry mice so around 110 to 130 there was a rash of plagues that swept over Seoul, Mars, and there wasn't the research to back it up. The health companies, Marsco ordered the health companies to radically drop their prices and essentially operate out of a charitable basis to help treat the diseases. Sometime thereafter research started picking up again. The plagues slowed and about 10 years later we were in a reasonably healthy state. At some point in time afterwards, the health companies started increasing their prices very slowly, uh, noticeably, much like a frog being slowly boiled to death in a soup pot, hmm. until somewhere in, in HSD I saw a quote that was pretty much like a month's wages for your standard treatment. I forget where that was, though. I can't find it again. But health prices were care prices were extremely high. Around the end of the second century genotype collapsed the mouse, mice the mouse race I can't say it, is it the mouse race the mouse race that they created uh, overthrew the board of directors and had them executed in a very public style and destroyed the company and burned its buildings to the ground in the middle of mouse dance hey jeez they said at about the same time more or less a spyglass emerged as a corporation devoted to uncovering secrets <laughs> and contributing to the public good by sabotaging industries that were stepping over the line, these two incidences seem like they might have been related somehow. I can't prove that. It's not in canon, but they are very closely tied together chronologically. Mm -hmm. Suspiciously closely. Suspiciously closely, yes. At some point in time, in the first half of the 3rd century, early on, sometime after the creation of Spyglass, and pretty soon after the destruction of Genotype, a new company emerged, a subsidiary of Spyglass that was charged with investigating corruption and fraud in the medical corporations which I believe that Spyglass probably had a direct hand in creating the final collapse of. Mm-hmm. That company said, look at all the corruption. It's terrible. These prices are drastically overinflated. From what? Because Mars Code said that they run at charity prices 100 years ago. We don't know what they were, whether that's real or not. But Spyglass said, these are terrible prices. They've had the cures all along, and we should destroy them all. And then all the health companies started burning. And Spyglass said, well, now we'll protect you. We'll help you. We'll heal you. And bought up all the chemists and doctors that had contributed to the cures before, mm-hmm. and emerged as a monopoly over the health industry. It's a nicer story than that, but I think that is kind of the darker reading. This, maybe this is a very long game. It was in, in hand power over to uh, Progenitus and establish a single oh. corporation over healthcare. Privatized healthcare is dead. Long live privatized healthcare. Yeah, that's the one. There's a great, <laughs> there's a great line in 2.0. I think that says Progenitus provides healthcare for free for the entire vector population. It's just under subscription fee. I don't know what that means. Also around the same time period, the same time frame as the creation, as the destruction of genotype and the creation of of progenitus, the genetic archives on Phobos mysteriously vanished. Or maybe it was just the human elements there because they had the human strain was, there was a genetic bank of human DNA and such. There maybe that's all that vanished. The wording is kind of unclear, but either the genetic archive at Phobos vanished entirely, or just the human portion was ghosted away. I don't know which, but either way, it was also a, a pretty convenient time, considering that uh, Progenus was moving to take
1: over healthcare at that point. That's an interesting point. One could have a blip, a blip human made, couldn't you? <laughs> yes. Would it not... be
3: actually be a blip human, or would it just be a vector that looks like a human? I.
0: Okay, let's not. We've done, we've, done, we've done this to death. You could you could totally, well, so every 50 or 100 years, people do create one or two pure strain humans to uh-huh. just kind of make sure that the... To put in a zoo. No, to make sure that the instruments are calibrated properly. Tap on the glass and laugh. You know, I think just to make sure they can. <laughs> um, I, I guess one question would be, is it a human if it's outside of human society? And I think that's kind of an unknowable. Why are yeah. we... Ha- let's not have this. Sorry, thing. sorry. It's okay. I don't want to have this conversation right now. We spent an hour just, having it before.
1: thinking in the, into the silence. <laughs> into the microphone. Into the microphone.
0: So from there, Progenius kind of expands to be the general purpose do-gooder, health and wellness and public protection from all things wrong corporation. And I think they kind of share that role with IRPF and to a degree Spyglass as well, uh, divvying up the protecting people from the wrongs duties. Their mission statement evolves as something along the lines of what makes the group strong makes the individual strong. Defend the oppressed wherever they want <laughs> defend the oppressed whether they want to be defended or not. Um, no that's not it. Uh, it is the duty of every it is the duty of every person to facilitate the growth and well being of every creature that likewise contributes to the whole. Dot, dot, embodied by health, diligence, selflessness, and loyalty. As far as company visions go, that's about an
3: eight out of ten, needs a couple of more buzzwords. I think <laughs> it's I think it's a little long, actually. Machine learning,
2: AWS
0: We have a couple of major progenitus uh, historical moments after that Uh, Somewhere around 475 after Earth Around about 450 Europa was colonized by uh, TTI Sometime shortly thereafter The wording is a little bit strange The sacred text says progenitus announced the creation of Vitae It doesn't specifically say progenitus discovered Vitae just as they announced the discovery of Vitae, uh-huh. given they have a whistleblower streak. I don't know what that means. But after another shortly thereafter period, TTI has decided this is going to make an awesome super soldier serum. Look, we can use Vitae to make horrible semi-undead warriors and giant bio ships. And progenesis. says, oh, our, our wonderful medical drug, you're corrupting it. And TTI presumably steeples their fingers and cackles. I don't know. And the two have never agreed on anything ever since. Hmm. Most recently, TTI has become one of the three corporations that's spearing the attack on the Ruby Spire. That's a weird sentence. Along with Pulse and IRPF, I believe. And TTI is saying, we don't want you to do this. We don't want you to do this. And Progenius is saying, oh, you want us to do this. Great, we'll do this. And that's currently where we are at about 702. Any questions?
1: Nope. Okay. Will there be a test? Yes,
0: ultimately. We're in a relationship, love. It's all a test. Uh, are you saying TTI
2: is the one saying not to attack the Spire and Progenitus is saying go for it? Or
0: Absolutely. Okay. TTI does not want people to attack the Whisper Spire because of all sorts of reasons, probably because they're afraid it's going to explode into whispers and eat everybody. I misheard you. I was hearing something. Okay. No, so the more Hydra deals with living creatures, the more Hydra can corrupt and infest living creatures. So sending three giant fleets of vectors at Hydra's like special temple on Earth is probably a bad idea. Also, it's the White Queen's idea, which means it's probably a bad idea. Do you remember the White Queen? I'm going to have to disagree with
3: that statement categorically.
0: Just because she's a fox?
3: (laughs) Okay, I'll allow
0: that. My queen's
2: from uh, Pulse, yeah.
0: Actually, yes. Uh, she's the the Dark Master, yeah, of Pulse. Dark Master of Pulse. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just me. No, that's very good. It's cold, and my brain isn't working yet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought processors work faster in the cold. Uh, yes, but I'm a, uh, not all of them. they don't want to be too cold. Yeah. So, moving on to Progenitus's kind of role in the game world and in your campaign. So on the HSD Discord channel, Tygon has specifically requested that we don't make Progenitus too dystopian. But it's, it's Sorry to disappoint. I know, it's, <laughs> it's right there in canon. But I think it's, it might be worthwhile asking why it's right there in canon. I don't think any of the megacorps really had quite the identity shift that Progenitus did. Actually, TTI suddenly became the good guys. Hmm. That was kind of weird. TTI are totally not the good guys. <laughs> They've always been the good
3: guys themselves. The only good guy claim that TTI has is that they're trying to prevent the world from disappearing in, like, interdimensional chaos and shit. That's, you know, only takes them so
0: far. Well, we're going to save this for TTI, which is, like, in six weeks or so. Yeah, Or not. Up to you.
1: The time is relative. Just as a side note, this is one interesting thing is that no, none of the people in our groups has ever had the slightest interest in progenitus as a primary or secondary corporation. Except me. Was <laughs> really? your car- oh well, uh, well you don't you don't count you don't play see <laughs> I had a I actually had a player who uh, with
2: HSTV one who uh-huh. really liked Progenitus the way he interpreted it was he was going to run around with a whole bunch of syringes of uh, vita vita this is uh, okay not. so mad scientist Progenitus basically yeah and then whenever anything happened he was the literal first person to run into a hellscape to inject as many people as possible regardless of side regardless of his own well being. Okay, I can see that one a little bit better, but
3: it, it, no offense to you or the player, but that is kind of right out of the book and the signature character of, so I can see where yeah. that comes from oh, really? it was yeah maybe very interesting, maybe to play not with.
0: maybe not quite so insane sounding though
3: pretty insane, yeah oh, no, the, she is pretty
0: far gone, yeah, this is the 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 lateral deer character yeah, the lateral
3: deer character, like oh. she's the one that ran forward and basically chopped herself off at the neck to provide. Biomass to get the target out. Okay. And they okay. carted out her head and regrew her the rest of the body. Yeah, huh. yeah, she's she's pretty insane and the situations that
2: they're describing her in are pretty insane. Okay. That would explain why um, my character or the the player at the time had been willing to cut off both of his hands and a foot to escape something. Yeah. And then carried someone out while hopping on one foot. Yeah, that's... it was a rather impressive set of roles,
0: but you know I do have <laughs> to give them props. That that character will occasionally shoot herself to avoid dinner conversation. <laughs> I like, didn't go that far. I like that. Anyway.
1: If she's hardcore, she serves veal. Not veal. Venison. If she's hardcore, she serves venison. Load from quicksave. <laughs> yeah. so, I got backups. <laughs> Is it vegan when you're eating yourself? No. Okay. It's just disturbing. Well, <laughs> did any animal die to provide you that meat? Not yet. No.
0: <laughs> no, because of the <laughs> Horrible, life-sustaining serum. <laughs> okay, so anyway, where, where I was going to <laughs> this entire
3: pointless diatribe is that... Oh, yeah, we're talking about
2: how Progenitus is not horrible. Right.
0: <laughs> Everyone we've been we describing know. so far has been incredibly selfless. Okay, so I really, <laughs> I really want to get to canon. In Sound and Silence, Pierce sets out what I think is a fairly harsh description of one of Progenius' main roles, which is this kind of a tarp thrown over the universe to show that it's not that bad. <laughs> they are a strong force for public good that lets everybody else continue the way they were doing and not worry about being positive at all. They they give Soul the illusion of not being a dystopia to the people that are living there.
3: Well, they also provide a very direct role of essentially providing hope to the other megacorporation uh, civilians yeah. or a pressure release to them by running around and basically taking in people from other megacorps and specifically going out and inviting the discontent to enter the fold um, that is very much a pressure release for other societies to kind of get the people that might turn into troublemakers might turn into discontents and redirect that energy elsewhere of course it also bolsters for ranks. Franks uh, there's no true believer like a uh, convert, that, and a couple of other you know, useful tasks that Progenitus is getting out of it, but th- there is definite society stabilization going on there.
0: Yeah, I think those are two sides of the same idea. They are kind of this pressure valve that lets corporations go as far as they need to, and then there's a way to kind of weed off the people that aren't going to fit that world. And talk about out of the frying pan into the pressure cooker. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't make the transition well to Progenitus because it's... It's really hard living there in certain ways. I mean, you have to be pretty, pretty on mission to survive in Progenitus very long. A lot of people that make the jump don't land the dismount very well. <laughs> but yeah, they're kind of their job is to kind of put it in this in this light. One of the things they do is they put on these signs everywhere. that says, "Move along, citizen. There's nothing to see here. Just go on, go on." And I think that's a darker reading of that. But that is where I think abruptly Progenitus became a much more dystopian corporation than a lot of its neighbors did. I think they really they took a hit uh, in terms of like positivity in uh, sound and silence,
3: and the whole internal corporate brainwashing angle didn't really help them at all.
0: No, that's true. They did talk a little bit about the corporate brainwashing, yes.
3: Um, <laughs> and just to kind of hit the other side of the scale, we, we've been a little bit down on Progenitus. They do a lot of good within Sol. They really are just a force of order and stability pretty much everywhere that they go, everywhere that their corporate presence, everywhere that their flex is flexed, they are providing either stability or kind of a guidance of a more stable path, a happier population type of thing. They, they really are the foil for a lot of other mega corporations.
0: Well, and just saying that because they're good, everybody else can be bad does not change the fact that they are pretty darn good. I mean, yes, they provide health care. Depending on where you set your sliders, they are making a lot of money skimming off the top. But... They provide reasonably priced health care that people don't have to pay for more than once or twice. They do
3: good stuff. They also provide a defense force. Mm -hmm. Most of their forces are very defensively aligned. Most of the armor and soul is really heavy armors, progenitus, shock troop, that type of thing. They move into a bunch of different areas where things are getting flaring up or getting out of hand, and they provide armored wall of troops between the civilian population and whatever else is going on, be it a hot spot or weird shit.
0: Yeah. Which even that is not—I mean, that is, that is, that is benevolent. Let's let's make no bones about that. But even that is kind of choosing sides and shaping the battle too. So that's one way they build their own corporate influences by kind of choosing the survivors. <laughs> well, I would not use the word benevolent. It is
3: for the good of a great many and the citizens definitely. But it is a form of
0: influence, yes. Another role that uh, pretenders plays that you can get in. Most of the corporations, I think Progenitus does it very well, is sort of a big brother slash big brother role. There is, it's hard to, I mean, you can argue this any number of ways, but Progenitus is one of the most heavily surveilled corporations out there. All of them look inwards and at their own corporations, their own citizens quite a bit. But being in Progenitus means people are keeping an eye on you, uh, making sure you toe you the company line, making sure you you know wear the mission statement on your shirt even if you um, aren't in their shared quarters, you still have progenitors eyes watching you. You have to you have to kind of walk the walk or... Well, that comes directly from their mission statement. progenitors society
3: kind of organizes itself as an organism, not a society. So the individuals within are more cells in the organism, in the organism of society, or cogs in the machine, if you're taking it at a different look at it. But Personal identity, personal rights, and privileges are just kind of less of a thing because they subsume a little bit more towards upwards towards the organization as a whole.
0: Yes, absolutely. It is one of the places where you can really have Big Brother-based plot lines that are kind of hard to find elsewhere because it is a. Sold as now governments, but but British certainly does. Uh, it's a place that really emphasizes a top-down hierarchy in a way that's very visible to the PCs. That's kind of its role in the world, though. Um, so far as how. What space it holds in your game, uh, it is a great place for the inevitable paladin player, which we apparently don't have any at our table. <laughs> How'd that happen? I think we got rid of him.
1: I play paladins a lot. Okay, <coughs> true. I'm no paladins, but
3: actually, based off who you play and what you play, I'm really surprised that you haven't been more progenitus, because That's they are true. very That's much true. the defensive heavy armor do girders in a sense.
0: You have a good, you have a good point, but they're not fun. I mean, they're a little fun. In, in, in a chop yourself up and feed yourself to the bioprinter, sort of sense the word
3: fun. Are we talking about different character types? Because there's a lot of fun in Petrandus. Other than the chop-yourself-up types. <laughs> Those is just the most fun.
0: Hmm. If you're playing a military character, you really only have two strong options. That would be IRPF, which is one type of military, the kind of small mercenary band Uh or progenitus which has the best organized martial presence i don't think they're they're not offensive but they are very martial kind of in a swiss guard sort of way um so for characters that have that as their archetype progenitus is a strong place to go Mm. if you're looking
3: for like an organized military paramilitary type i would mostly agree with you there
0: I'm kind of wondering to what degree IRPF and progenitus are kind of brother corp, sister corp structures, because it seems like that they overlap in a number of ways. I mean, IRPF is more beholden to their corporate masters, but progenitus seems like they'd have as many boots on the ground in the same places as IRPF does with a better moral compass, perhaps See that. Hmm. We we knew that we'd be disagreeing a lot during these episodes. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, Anytime you
3: talk about moral compass, it's really hard when you're talking about a corporation. Because the corporate heart does not beat with morals or ethics. So there's that. I think IRPF really falls more of... They seem more beholden to maybe the structure and the contract as the overarching goal. They don't necessarily seem to have any real aim beyond that. Kind of peacekeepers, but very much almost like enforcing the rules of the contract without any greater aim. Whereas Progenitus definitely has greater aims, and a lot of their martial arm kind of flows from that.
0: Well We're going to be talking IRPF probably in December, but they do have, I mean, functionally there's a, there's something very much like a Bill of Rights that governs all of Seoul. One of the places where IRPF draws a lot of their popularity is enforcing this kind of Bill of Rights sort of structure. And I think no no corporate overlord is going to say that there is a fundamental, that anybody has a fundamental set of rights, but there is a, a shared agreement of things like you know, no slavery, no torture on no, on I, screen.
3: I think that actually captures it really well. IRPF is, their their higher mission is kind of a, call it a bill of rights, or it's a set of rights and privileges and that kind of description. Whereas Progenitus' greater statement is more of The health of Vector kind as a species, and the two are subtly different.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, and also their mission tends to shift depending on what Progenitor thinks is important that year, too. (laughs) It's almost seeming uh,
2: more like a enforcement versus guarding. One of them enforces something, one of them guards the other. They can both have the exact same role. They are both very distinct roles when you
0: really want to break it down. I can go with
1: that. Sure, makes sense.
0: So going into alternate readings and conspiracy theories regarding Progenitus, I think the single biggest one is uh, simply that, that big kind of 2.0 shift where they become the uh, benevolent facade in a dark world. Uh, one legitimate way of looking at them. But there's other kind of spinoff ideas as well. There's something mentioned in Sound and Silence called the Paragon Project, which is arguably Progenitus at its worst. Uh, Progenitus continually aims for the greater good, And sometimes that takes them and their many subsidiary companies into some very dark paths, like in the Paragon Project, where they were trying to, I think, through eugenics and selective breeding and God knows what, isolate these source of morals, more or less find out where the moral compass lives in a vector. (laughs) And if it can be hacked. Yes. Uh, This was a joint project with uh, Progenitus and IRPF. I don't have a firm set of dates on it, but it's one of their more dubious pet projects no it sounds perfect <laughs>
3: and i mean as you said progenitus has had kind of a very large i don't think that it's really had a shift in the way it was originally designed i think it was more of a shift of maybe the first book's presentation was not quite as envisioned so there was some corrective correction of the uh boat there as it were writing of the ship I, and progenitus really sits in one of the places where When you're talking about alternates or conspiracy theories, it really depends on which way you're going to paint them from from the very beginning. Because Mm -hmm. just sitting at the table, you can paint them either as really pointing towards the good side of vectors or really pointing towards the worst side of vectors. And as written, they fit both very well.
0: Although this out there is another alternate progenitus, Uh, there actually is no progenitus. In fact, there is only the spyglass subsidiary progenitus that was created to uh, completely undermine the medical industry. Now, not only has Progenitus successfully infiltrated and taken over the entire medical industry of Seoul, but that gives them a huge amount of insight into people on a genetic level, and they funnel that information upwards to Spyglass and their Dark Masters. And now the rumors are spreading that they can create viruses that are genetically tailored to strike a single person as opposed to knocking out neighborhoods and communities. The amount of information they have simply outclasses any other resource in Seoul, and anything that you would that your doctor would know about you is now being sold to the highest bidder. Of course. Well, that's
3: right there in the uh, doctor contract. You sign <laughs> yeah. that every time you walk in. <laughs> right, right, got to right. negotiate
0: the price. And even if progenitus has given a killer virus that's tailored just to you and is going to take you down in a few days, they do have the cure, but then you're just drinking more Kool-Aid at that point. Other
3: conspiracies is the uh, shadow president of progenitus is just really just a queen bee, and she's just arranging society the proper way.
0: Are we talking like ovipositor stuff, or just <laughs> just order for the sake of order? Just order for the sake of order. Um, I think the shadow president of progena is actually a fairly nice entity. Poor deluded fool. Well, she she has <laughs> she has a constituency that she's protecting. Uh, I guess we can say who she is. This is this is the um, brain bug that ate the person that created brain bugs. That's right. Yes. <clears throat> And now she's kind of watching over her charges and trying to make sure that they have a, a safe and they have a safe and happy life, but not a bad creature overall, even as brain bugs go. Well, not since she uh, digested some ethics and morals. Was <laughs> a mad scientist? I'm not sure you had them. Maybe he was just—I don't know. Just <laughs> <honest>. Um,
3: <clears throat> are you really a good person if you're just a good person because you ate a good person?
0: How do th- how do the ends justify the means? Uh, we talked a little bit about how Progenitus kind of takes on survivors and brings them home with them, and then brainwashes them. And I think you could easily play Progenitus as kind of a uh, a cult like structure where they bring people in and completely indoctrinate them, as opposed to just uh, giving them the tools they need to survive in the world. Can that's, that's a lot of the, leeway there. Yeah, that's not a lot of, not really a stretch with them either. <laughs> um, I mean, if if your character was a survivor from a hot zone in a TTI town, that was taken to Virgencis. That 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 might not go well for them long term. At least the level of indoctrination would be much higher. I would almost argue that that's not a very valid player
3: character. You can certainly work with it with the player, but that kind of background within Progenitus, within the lore itself, they very rarely leave Progenitus afterwards. It, it really takes a lot for someone to be in Progenitus and not in Progenitus. To be running around in a player character party is a certain amount of freedom that most people in Progenitus just don't have.
0: Well, and I think that kind of character would have a lot less agency than perhaps you'd want as a PC because they've already been broken down and rebuilt three or four times at that point.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Although, if you wanted to have that uh, funky background where you're suddenly a new character when you press, when you hit level four or something like that, I forget what that one was called, uh, shady background or something like that, that might be an interesting way of uh, of lensing it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you were a sleeper agent that was brought on board to do something within the Prog Corp Town. Who knows? <coughs> And if you're
3: running a table or a game of characters that actually have very heavy outside influences, ownerships, or demands, that comes back around to being a much more interesting character.
0: How mm-hmm. so? Not sure I follow. Having,
3: at least on this table, most of the characters are kind of free spirits. You've got the standard assortment of murder hobos with no external restraints Ragnar- or chains. Ragtag Ragnar- or, or, or Yeah. Um... If you spin that around and maybe you're taking on some of the other backgrounds, some of the other backgrounds are owned or slaves, um, some of the other backgrounds have very heavy outside constraints, mm. whether it's outright ownership from one or patronship or corporate ties or just a very strict guideline of behavior, you could play with a group of characters that have much heavier outside commitments. That I think that character does come back around to being a little bit more interesting.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So special snowflake through conformity. Weird. <laughs>
3: well, if everybody's a special snowflake, then suddenly the table's much easier to manage. <laughs> they all set themselves on fire. <laughs> Progentus, the good guys, or just really good marketing.
0: Is there a difference at the end of that?
1: <laughs> Y'all
0: keep saying marketing like it's not reality, and I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. Marketing is the intelligent design of reality. <laughs>
2: marketing is the intelligent design of the reality we want you to have
3: exactly
0: there comes a time in each man's life when he can't even believe his own eyes well after your description i don't think i'd want to see it either so going on to What's Awesome this week, we will see if the hosts have brought any news clippings with them from the world of sci-fi, science, and furry fandom, and et cetera. Well,
2: I have a news article that is... out. Go on. I have a news article that is uh, somewhat in relation to dystopias and progenitus, in a way. Okay. Uh, that, <laughs> evidently, it is now coming out. Google has access to most, uh, a good chunk of America's uh, health records to do with as they please. Oh, no. Uh, that They never alerted anyone that they got, and are now saying that it's perfectly fine to trust them with it. What?
3: <laughs> well, that's been Google's line since the very beginning. I know, right? I like yes, our... we have unfettered access to everything about you, your personal life, and your information, but we're not evil, and oh,
0: you no, can trust Oh, no, it's only everyone,
2: everyone it. in 21 states. It's fine.
0: <laughs> I, I like our robot overlords, but I'm a little uncomfortable with this. <laughs> it's all HIPAA compliant,
2: don't worry.
3: Okay. Yeah, if you actually <laughs> look at... The amount of interconnect in healthcare and insurance and all of the other stuff. I mean, information is changed hands between so many systems and so many corporations. It's As with any other piece of personal information, it's best just to assume that it's
2: already out. I know, it's actually quite wonderful. I was uh, recently, with my work, just told, No, I'm sorry, we can't give you debug logs because that would break HIPAA compliance. I was like, Okay did not know my stuff was being used for that but thank
0: you <laughs> excitement so this article starts somewhere silly and goes somewhere that's relevant but silly see if you can find the breaking point there uh there is a new Scooby-Doo animated film so yay talking animals oh right <clears throat> i know i know i know i'm going i'm going somewhere with this it's called scoob uh it's at least halfway the origin story of how Scooby and Shaggy met and their first mission together.
3: <laughs>
0: Does it have okay. a custom song? <laughs> but what I think this builds up to that's exciting, and I really want to see your response to this Ashtar. It's gonna make for good podcasting. Is this feeds into the Hannah Barbera cinematic universe? <laughs>
2: I'm
3: okay with this. <laughs>
0: okay, Well then.
1: Doesn't that really happens to Burgatroy? <laughs>
0: Zoinks. Uh This has been apparently building since 2016, Jinkies. when it was when it was announced. But exactly what it means and what the new Scooby-Doo film is going to be uh, seems to have evolved significantly. It's out for May 2020 release. It started out being called S-C-O-O-B, but now it's just Scoob. I think one noteworthy thing is that Scooby is a lot more eloquent in this film. I mean, he's okay. kind of like a fair bit dumb in the series as is like maybe uplifted animal dumb. But here he just sounds like someone with a head cold and a deep gravelly veritone.
1: Are they getting the the team that did the sonic CGI to do him? Please. No, no. (laughs) Okay.
0: But, um, let's actually put furry is on the
2: team. and It'll all be fine.
1: No. I'm like, it will not be fine. I mean, that's. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is the W. <laughs> this <laughs> is. I'm going to go look up Rule 34 and Scooby Doo right now.
2: I mean, putting Furs in the team is how we got both Zootopia
0: and Alpha and Omega. So. Uh... <laughs> but this, yeah, is, this yeah. is the same animation team that did the, the Lego movie and Lego movie 2 and all of its spin offs. And those have been really rewarding. True, true. And I have really liked some of the recent Hanna-Barbera adaptations and comics. Uh, they've been fun. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that something good may come of this.
3: Yeah. I and mean, well, if it's the same team that's doing the Lego movies, I, I think they deserve the benefit of yeah. the doubt there. They've they've done some pretty good things. And
2: hopefully they follow the trend with all of the uh, scooby doo animated movies having really good custom music. Or at least at least one pretty damn
0: good track. Okay, I really did like the Josie and the Pussycats movie a lot. That was that was a ton of fun. Uh-huh.
1: I just want to m- mention, I've been watching a bunch of S- S- SaberSpark is a chap who who reviews lots of animation. There's pr- apparently several direct-to-video movies crossovers between Scooby Doo and pro wrestling. Really, it's, really, huh? It, it's pretty pretty freaking amazing. I suggest checking it out. Okay. We have things to watch tonight i didn't yeah, know this yeah. <laughs> w- one thing that struck me um n- news wise was in, in the case of of that lady who i think is the first person killed by a, a robotic car okay okay good i <sighs> thought you were right oh, oh. yeah that, that apparently the they're gonna have a corporate person take a demo drive in one of the self-driving cars so they turned off a couple features uh P- part of since robotic cars aren't incredibly good drivers, they can they make kind of violent reactions sometimes, violent swerves or violent braking. That's how I drive. Yeah, it is kind of, um, which to a, to a human observer are kind of jarring and unjustified. Well, so before they're going to demo it for an executive, they t- turned way down the car's ability to make violent course corrections.
2: Actually, it was a slightly more. Yeah. Cause I, I remember this very well because yeah. I was. Weirdly, now friends with one of the people who helped with that team. Yeah, thank you, College. They disabled all safety measures involving the e-brake.
1: Jeez, Louise. Yeah. So
2: that erratic braking was actually the any time there was an unknown condition. Uh, mind you, this is coming from second hand of second hand from an employer to uh, uh-huh. from a previous employee to a current employee to me. Yeah. So take this uh, with a grain of salt. They had disabled all of the. If you are in an unknown state, hit the e-brick. Right. And right. Uh, the there was a lot of things that was sent into an unknown state because they were still training the model. And a person walking in front of it was one of the unknown states.
1: Right. And, and that they disabled it across the entire network. And then they, they afterwards re-enabled parts of it. But not all of it. Not all of it, and it's actually from a system standpoint
3: that makes a lot of sense. This is a very high-level security system. You would not want to to be have the ability to disable it on single cars. From a design standpoint, that's how you would make the thing to ensure Uh that it doesn't just get flipped off for you know show tours like this.
1: Okay,
2: and then the idiots went and just shut it off for the whole system instead. The best part in all of this, (laughs) while they disabled the. Uh, they disable the physical connections but not the triggers in the code to actually turn on or off the e-brakes. So the log file has a whole bunch of error, e-brake not responding, error, e-brake not responding, uh, and then it says it
1: hit something. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 this is making you think of that you're mentioning the progenitors, the, the 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 notion of the virus they have that can attack a single person. Just imagining, and, and you're talking about the danger of being able to modify in a car by car thing. Go are right into like the automated driving car. It's Like, you know, if there's pedestrian in the way, then slow down unless it's Ashtar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a lovely story.
2: Uh, I actually read on Reddit writing prompts a while ago. Uh, there's two uh there are two autonomous vehicles that are uh going they're going to crash and they have to go talk to the corporates to figure out which one is going to take the uh okay, plunge sure. off the road while well, the other one gets to swerve and brake and all that fun stuff and it was this interesting car like this uh anthropomorphic cars talking to each other like i am a luxury vehicle and you are a cheap one you should not do this and the cheap one goes nope well talk to corporate because mine just paid uh x million dollars to say that i'm going to be the safer one this time around sorry about that i hope your people are all right make sure to squeal your brakes before you actually get to the ditch
1: (laughs) i I can imagine that yeah this this last minute you know Who's closer to being paid off? Yeah. Who who contains a a member of a protected class? Who has media closer by? All all that stuff. That'd be a neat conversation to be in on. We can go into a whole ethics uh, debate
2: based on this with uh, who has what knowledge and what knowledge is currently available to what things. Because once you start looking at what knowledge is currently available versus what knowledge you want to be available the ethics of who do you hit becomes incredibly gray, incredibly quickly, and it's a very weird topic.
3: You're talking about all of this very much in the abstract and the theoretical, Yeah. but what you are talking about is essentially the insurance profiling that's already done for insuring cars and insuring people. Yes. All you have to do is speed that up to a much quicker response and move it before the crash actually happens, mm-hmm. and you already have most of the pieces
2: in place. Give it five years and I will perfectly agree with you. <laughs> with current tech... Yeah, with, with current, current tech, it's not there. I'm not saying it's With current tech there. and current cameras, if we have... Uh, if you're approaching an intersection and your brakes have failed and you get two options, you can go to the right or to the left, and to the right there is one blob, and to the left there are two blobs, you do not have time to figure out what these blobs are. Which direction right. do you go? Because huh. <laughs> that's where we're currently at is we don't know what these blobs are, but there's blobs there and we're
1: going to hit them. So which one do we go to? <laughs> a real world example of this is, um, I know some of y'all are in IT. So so Ethernet, part of collision, collision de- detection is if two machines start talking at the same time, the whole network shuts down. Hmm. Then each client waits a random amount of time before they start talking again to make it less likely that they're going to keep interrupting each other. Except for certain network cards where they decided they want to have better stats their card waits the minimum amount of time and then starts right then. Which, if you want better stats on a diverse network, it works well. But if people buy only your random network cards, it doesn't work so well. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah, you've just highlighted the problem of a basically a gentleman's agreement protocol with no yeah. enforcement. Yep. It's, all you need is a bad actor, and suddenly it doesn't matter what your agreement is because it's someone's just... going to take advantage of it.
0: Uh, I, I did not play Hyperlight Drifter when it was a thing. I assumed that the rest of the world knows this video game <laughs> um maybe 2016 homage to 8-bit games it's kind of a post-human world where you are a blue skin android character in a world mostly populated with anthros um so kind of relevant to the furry sci-fi world sure. and now recently relevant to the furry sci-fi tabletop world because they kickstarted successfully a hyper light oh, yeah. drifter rp tabletop rpg neat um, i don 't really have a lot to say about that it 's kind of a sort of dark universe where survivors of the world of the ancients find pieces of dangerous technology and bash them together until they do things uh there 's probably more of a better plot than that but i have i 'm not that familiar with the game
1: who cares it has foxes in it
0: it has it has foxes foxes in a sixteen bit eight bit super NES sort of feel um, anyway that 's a new thing uh it 's coming from Metalweave Games, and uh, I think they're taking pre orders now, so we'll link to that in the show notes when that happens. Cool. Yay. <clears throat> when we next get together, we'll be taking a tour through a Progenitor City, although uh, in this festive time of year, God knows when that'll be. We'll try and get together soon. So in the meantime, uh, take care, stay warm, and catch the outro line. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Chronicles, both by Sirius Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not for profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, radiofreedemos.com, that's D E I M O S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.